This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Bitcoin 2021 conference. I'm super pumped about uh, this event, not just because I've been cooped up in my house for the last year without the ability to travel anywhere or do anything, but there's an incredible lineup of speakers uh, that are going to be uh, speaking at this event. And more importantly, or I'm more excited about the opportunity to uh, meet and hang out with all the amazing plebs that I've met over the past uh, couple of years. Uh, I think it's going to be a super fun time, probably a little bit messy, but it's going down June 4th and 5th in Miami, Florida, aka the land of freedom. And if you'd like to uh, check it out or possibly pick up some tickets, go to b.tc forward slash conference, use the promo code Vallis for 15% off. Mayor Scott Conger, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, John? I'm doing very well, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to speak to you today. Um, for those people that are listening that uh, maybe are not too familiar with you yet, perhaps you could give us a brief introduction into uh, who you are, what you do, and then we'll get it rolling. Yeah, so my uh, name's Scott Conger. I have get the pleasure of serving as the mayor of the city of Jackson, Tennessee. I've uh, been in that role for since July of 2019. So took the role, had about seven months of some sense of normalcy and then uh, got to deal with the pandemic. Um, and so a um, lifelong Jacksonian, um, Jackson, Tennessee, you know, right between Memphis and Nashville, about uh, two hours west of Memphis, about an hour east of Nashville on Interstate 40. And uh, we are a population of 67, 68,000, but serve a greater population of about 400,000. And so any given day, we're at 120, 130,000 folks in our city. Uh, we're known as the hub city because surrounded by rural areas. And so uh, we're entertainment, healthcare, uh, economical hub for, for the West Tennessee region. So you popped up recently on Twitter and it's been kind of a growing phenomenon where, uh, you know, people that are hanging around on Bitcoin Twitter and talking about economics and Bitcoin and all the mixing it up as we do, uh, politicians are beginning to pop up with lasers in their eyes. And this, uh, you know, gives people pause for thought, of course. And uh, so, you know, we've had Cynthia Lummis in Wyoming. We've had uh, Mayor Suarez in, in Miami and a couple others. And uh, I'd just love to know uh, why you put lasers in your eyes. What's what's the story there? Oh, man, it's um, you know interesting is for most of us uh, over this last year, we've we've been in front of a screen more uh, and been at home and not doing the, the things we normally do and. And so for me, it, it kind of gave an opportunity to just pay attention to other things and do some research. And for the last several months, I've been um, been looking at uh, kind of onlooker of, of Bitcoin and and that ecosystem. Uh, in a you know a couple of months ago, I guess um, kind of on the outside looking in at what Mayor Suarez has been doing in Miami, and you know, is Miami's a little little different from Jackson, Tennessee, and so. Uh, my initial thought was, man, that's, that's great. I would love to to kind of see what we can do in, in Jackson. I mean, Jackson's a totally different landscape, right? And so um, talked to a friend of mine, uh, Aaron Ingalls, who's, who's been in Bitcoin, you know, started, I guess, down that rabbit hole in 2015 and just started having conversations, started reading articles and, and you know, going through the noise. And uh, Aaron tweeted at me one day, and, and if you don't know me, I'm, I've very sarcastic. And uh, so I kind of sarcastically tweeted back to him, you know, about a, he says about Bitcoin, I said something about another currency and uh, I started getting piled on. It was funny, <laughs> but what it did was it allowed uh, Mayor Suarez and I to, to kind of 
to open up a dialogue. And so some Twitter messages, sharing phone numbers and, and seeing what he's doing and then really looking at it and, and having more conversations. And, you know, it doesn't have to be just in Miami or, or at the level of a state or federal government that cities our size, um, Jackson can, can be a part of that as well. You know, we, we have a great opportunity here um, for multiple reasons. We were the first city in the state with, uh, with a gig fiber internet. And so um, we have that infrastructure for connectivity for this 21st century jobs and, and economy and ecosystem. And, you know, my thought was it's time for us to start capitalizing on that. And, and I think it's a way, you know, Bitcoin opens up so many opportunities, right? Not just for, for local governments, but for people and for uh, asset building and wealth building and closing the wealth gap. And so it just, it seemed for me like a, an opportune time to start ushering in that direction for the city of Jackson. Right. So was it, was it Mayor Suarez's laser eyes that caught your attention or did you have a dialogue just with him already based on how he was fostering, you know, uh, the technology industry and pro-business and business-friendly sort of environment in Miami? Yeah, so I was, you know, we kind of have the same, you know, a lot of, a lot of similarities. Uh, both of us come from maybe a political family uh, at the local level. And um, so just kind of looking at what he has done. And I think we're really open to that conversation was that just tongue-in-cheek tweet from Aaron to me and responding and Mayor Suarez was it was on one of his threads. And so that opened up the dialogue between us. Uh, but I really you know, appreciate what he's done. I mean, looking at it, he's done phenomenal things in Miami and continue to do so. And I think that we can replicate that to a certain level here in Jackson. What do you think about, you know, and, and we'll get back to the Bitcoin stuff in a second, but it, it, have you read the book, The Sovereign Individual? I haven't. I got it on the way right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So basically, one of the, the premises of that book is that, you know, in the information age, in the digital age where, uh, you know, let's let's say taxation is more difficult to exert or people are more, more mobile so they can play a jurisdictional arbitrage more easily. You know, their income is not tethered to a physical lo- location, let's say, then jurisdictions will be forced to compete for their capital, you know, for them to domicile themselves in a certain place or live in a certain place or drive income from a certain place. Um, And it really seems like this is the beginning stages of that. You know, we're kind of moving from an environment where you're kind of at the mercy of the policies of the jurisdiction you're in. Whereas now, as we're seeing, you know, kind of the influx of people into places like Miami and into places like Texas and potentially into places like Jackson, is that people are saying, those are policies that you know respect respect my freedom and liberties. Those are policies that allow me to execute on entrepreneurial ideas I might have without too much, you know, red tape or overbearing influence from the government. Uh, and it seems like this is a rapidly evolving trend. Do you, as a mayor, are you seeing your role as someone who's, you know, one of your main roles is to make Jackson more attractive to people by changing the policies in order to do so? Absolutely. Um, you know, my job every day is when I go to sleep at night that I've made Jackson just a little bit better than it was when I woke up that morning. Uh, and, and whatever that may be, if that's from policy change, just going out and cheerleading and beating the drum for the city. Um, we we pride ourselves on being very economical friendly and very business friendly, encouraging entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, wanting people to take those risks and reward them for taking those risks and having them succeed. And, you know, this is not a big change for us. Uh, I don't think. And what we've done as far as policy goes on encouraging entrepreneurship, I think the big change for, for us here at the local level is a mindset shift on, on what currency is, what, what money is, um, what sustainability looks like. 
and uh, how we can can prepare for the future because this isn't about this isn't a, a short term solution, right? This isn't about setting up for next year. Uh, this is about making sure when when I'm no longer in this office um, that uh, that the next next administration is able to do things that I couldn't do because they're they're more financially free. Our citizens are more financially free, uh, and we can continue to build on that. You mentioned you came from a or you come from a political family. What was it about? you know, political office, the office of the mayor or whatever offices you may have held and aspire to hold. What was it about that that, you know, that drew you into that line of work? Gosh, it's uh, my my grandfather was mayor here from from 1967 to 1989. Uh, Then I had a a great, great, great grandfather that was mayor back in the 1860s. And so uh, I, I grew up really not wanting to do that. Uh, got a history degree, wanted to get an endorsement to teach high school history. Um, and I'm thankful every single day that I went on two interviews and I was supposed to replace a retiring teacher. Neither one of those teachers retired. And so uh, you can do only a few things with a history degree. One of them is working higher ed. So I did that and uh, got my, my master's in business administration and uh, really got interested at that point of, of, representation at the local level because all politics are local our local elections are the most important elections that anyone can participate in and so when i was uh, 27 ran for city council and was elected and, and served two terms there and then i uh, decided to you know run for mayor in 2019 and, and you know the conversation my wife and i had at that time because when i announced i was running i had a five-month-old and uh, a, a daughter that was uh, turning two and so you know, not an easy task to just have two small kids at that point, but then take on an effort to, to run for political office. And the conversation we had was, you know, cities our size, uh, especially see a brain drain where kids go to college, they graduate high school, they go find the jobs they want. And if we're not doing the things to attract those jobs, then they're going to leave. So part of it was selfish, um, you know, not wanting to have to travel hours on end to see our kids when they grow up or if they start having families to see grandkids. And so um, coming to that understanding and that realization that we had to lay the foundation now to ensure that those future generations don't leave when they have the opportunity, that we bring the opportunity to them and make it a place to, to, to cultivate their career and their families. Right. Um, you mentioned kind of the origin story of your exposure to an interest in, in Bitcoin. Uh, what's the learning process been like for you since that time? You know, you see the laser eyes, you talk with Suarez, you see kind of the appeal of catering to this uh, industry and this community, and also presumably some aspect of the value proposition of the thing itself. What's your education, you know, what's your journey down the rabbit hole been like thus far? I'm sure you're still, you know, going down a mile a minute, but what's it been like? It's like drinking through a fire hose right now. Uh, (laughs) Just trying to consume as much as I can. Uh, you know, reading books, articles. I, I clean my desk off work, but I have I have articles on my desk that uh, that were pretty often given to me. That I get ten minutes. I'm I'm reading one real quick. Um, kids go to bed at night. Um, I'm you know getting online and reading articles and checking you know Twitter and, and seeing what's posted and, and just trying to just absorb and take on as much information as I possibly can. Uh, I joked the other day that my, my kids go to bed seven thirty eight o'clock. Still very young. My daughter is about to be five. My son just turned three, and so at six thirty, I'm saying, you know, time to go to bed. I, I got some stuff to you know to look at here, and so uh, you know, you just the, the moments that I have free, trying to absorb information, and really, the thing that's been most beneficial to me to get through the noise, right? Because there's noise on 
on either end of the spectrum. You have the, mm. the traditional fiat economists saying this is a, a scam; it'll never work; it's not real. And then push, push, push on the other end. So um, getting through the noise and just getting as much factual information as I possibly can to see what the you know, risk are, benefit are, uh, and just do the complete SWOT analysis of of entering into this ecosystem and economy. Yeah. I'd love to hear from you, and you know, this is by no means a test of any kind, but what value do you see in Bitcoin? Like, why is it appealing to you? What does it represent? Absolute asset appreciation. And so what really opened my eyes is, is having that conversation with Aaron. And um, we were talking. And the interesting thing about Aaron is he got into Bitcoin in 2015 trying to disprove Bitcoin. And four months later is then going to Bitcoin ATMs and, and purchasing Bitcoin. So um, very interesting, but he's um, he's in the, the fence business. And so he builds wooden fences and privacy fences. And so pandemic has increased the price of lumber, you know, 200%. And the conversation that we had was, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at the dollar value of wood, it's increased. But if I'm looking at it through the lens of sats, it's actually today cheaper for me than it was this time a year ago. And so that, that appreciation that, you know, take out the short-term volatility. I think that's where people get a lot of confusion and mixed up on, on that day-to-day short-term, but the long-term appreciation of the asset itself and the value that it has um, to not be manipulated, uh, to, to not be affected by the inflationary rates and, and the Fed coming in and printing more money and, and, and pushing more money and falsely propping up the economy. Uh, it, it's a it's a true economical ecosystem um, that um, that can I think level the playing field in a lot of ways, and and I mean there's no barrier to entry. I mean really, if you think about it, 86% of Americans have a smartphone. That's all you need, and you can utilize dollar cost averaging to to build your wealth. And we can not only financially empower people, we can we can break the the reliance for us at the local level on, on bonding out for, for capital projects. You know, right now we're in a position with our finances. We have to, we have to put the, or in a sentence, do we want to buy a fire truck or do we want to pave this road? And so my goal is that we get to a point, whether that's while I'm still here or the, the person or two people or three people after me that they can say, Let's take the ore out of it. Let's just and we're going to buy this fire truck and we're going to pave these streets because we're able to do so. And we've done that without putting an additional burden on our taxpayers. Yeah, I think that's one of the insights that dawns on people once they've been around for a while and realizing that what Bitcoin is about is effectively making your life cheaper, whether you're an individual, you're an organization, you're a company, you're a you're a political body or entity. Um, and I think, you know, the the. The, those entities that are going to win in the next number of years are ones that realize that sooner, you know, that they put it on the corporate balance sheet, that put it on the, you know, the treasury, use it as a treasury reserve asset and allow the benefits to accrue to them. And I think that will be part of this snowball effect of other jurisdictions saying, hey, why did they get to buy two fire trucks, right? Instead right. of just one, or why did they get to pave all those roads? And I think the, the cat will get, get out of the bag and things could get fairly, uh, you know, exciting fairly quick. You know, competition is great. I, I, I love it. I, I thrive and it excites me. And I think that it's what it does. It creates a, a different level of competition for, for people, for, for organizations, for governments. And um, it's, uh, it's exciting to do that because it's, like I said, there is, there is no false inflation. There's no prop up. There is, there's no able, you're not able to just go print more of it and devalue it. Uh, it's, it's going to be what it is. 
Let me ask you this, you know, a, a strong thread uh, running through Bitcoin as an entity in the Bitcoin community uh, is this kind of anti-political solution to, you know, our social, cultural, e economic problems. Um, and, you know, I think anyone who understands at all how the systems work, you know, the, the power to issue and control currency is pretty much the, the center of power for any state. You know, it funds a lot of the things that they want to do. It siphons off the productive wealth of, of the population in perpetuity. Some, some governments take extreme advantage of that and abuse that power, and it leads to a more rapid degradation of the system, and others are a little bit more, let's say, responsible with it. Um, but, you know, this is definitely an affront to that, you know, and you could characterize Bitcoin, and I know there's this debate between asset versus currency, but the fact is, is that Bitcoin is basically a digital global cash economy. And so mm -hmm. it's kind it's 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 capable of being outside the purview of the state. Someone who is is part of the political apparatus, and I don't mean that in you know right. like a necessarily a negative way, although I'd have my critiques, but you're someone who's in that domain. How do you square the philosophical divide between those two things? I guess I'm the wrong person, I'm probably the worst politician ever. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that goes back to to how we utilize and where we are in, in the world. I mean, technology, let's, let's go back 14 months. The connectivity that we thought we had was, was great, but you, you look at the, the necessity of us to connect virtually, um, you know, to have conversations across the country, you know, prior to, you know, the pandemic, if you want to meet with someone across the country, maybe you're doing a phone call, trying to go fly out, meet them. Now we have that connectivity. It's changed the retail world. It's changed how we do business, uh, everything is becoming more decentralized. And I think uh, that's that's where it is. You know, go back to my, my campaign. I shouldn't be sitting here, right? I, I, was, I ran as a 35-year-old person who who only held a city council seat. Uh, I was outraised five to one, outspent five to one. And um, But utilizing technology, utilizing social media, you know, decentralizing our message, but also being able to strategically cater our message to people utilizing a CPM of eight cents per impression, as opposed to going to the traditional markets of, of newspaper and, and television and meeting people where they are. I think that's just a, a natural transition and progression uh, from, from getting to that the Bitcoin mentality as well. So let me, let me maybe frame that question a bit differently. Like we talked about competition and you say you love competition. I think, this scenario where let's say the grip of the state the ability to to track everything is going to be drastically inhibited the more people adopt a bitcoin standard and so it is going to have to be about competition if i'm going to come to jackson if i'm going to go to miami and i'm going to live there and work there then i'm going to do it increasingly based on what you what you offer me Right. How much are you going to tax me? What's the lifestyle like? What are the services like? What are all the all the amenities and that kind of stuff? And if I find another jurisdiction that's better and I'm not, not too nailed down, then I'm going to pick up sticks and go. So I think there's going to be this tremendous competition between jurisdictions. And I think what it ultimately will will be is a, is a shrinking of the involvement and the uh, of the state apparatus in in any jurisdiction, whatever the size um, and more, uh, you know, I, I guess effectively more freedom. But one of the things that's the, the political imperative is that oftentimes you have to speak to short term issues of your constituents, right? People need those roads paved. They want another fire truck, whatever the issue might be. 
and getting them to think long term and even getting them to accept that doing less perhaps now is doing more in the future can be a difficult task, especially when you're doing that through something that's so new and novel and in many cases misunderstood. And I'm referring to Bitcoin there. So when you as a mayor come out with laser eyes and your constituents see that you have laser eyes and you're talking about Bitcoin, what is their response to what appears to be your priorities at this point? Yeah, and I think um, we've done a good job. We're in a very, probably again, wrong person to ask. We're in a very unique position. Um, you talk about doing less now, long-term vision, long-term goal. That, that's that's everything that we've been, and I've been talking about for the last three years because, you know, you look at our economic situation that I inherited in 2019, um, our debt service is extremely high. It's 26% of our property tax intake right now, which is which is extremely high, really prohibitive of what we can do. And so what, what the previous administration had done was kind of live on borrowed time, borrowed money, kicking the can. And, um, you know, we've been, the three tenets that I've ran on my campaign the, that we operate government is transparency, efficiency, and inclusivity. How do we bring people to the table? How do we do everything in a transparent manner and drive efficiency? And so we've communicated from the start. Hey, I, I know you got some wants and there's needs, but this is where we are. And we got a plan for the long term. Uh, we have to focus on reducing our debt service. We have to focus on being in a better financially solvent position. And it, I think a lot of the, the the communication is, you know, we get in that. It's easy for us as, as people to get in the mindset of being able to only have a singular focus. But, um, you know, in this role, I have to be able to, to focus on roads, crime, a pandemic, uh, quality of life, infrastructure, um, all those things have to be a focus and that, that comes with, I mean, take, take the Bitcoin conversation out. That's just the role. You got immediate needs, you got a long-term needs and you have wants that you have to prioritize. You have to be very clear in the messaging on what the priorities are. Our priorities haven't changed um, from the start. Our priorities are infrastructure, public safety, quality of life. That's the priorities that we want to have, being transparent, inclusive and efficient. Um, but also the, the conversation and communication about how we can get there how we can drive efficiency, how we can drive inclusivity, how can we be more transparent in what we're doing and also improve on the three areas of infrastructure, public safety and quality of life. And just in, in talking about the ways that we can do that and, and opening up those conversations and just the education piece of it. I feel like part of the, the maybe challenge or paradox here with this kind of changing political dynamic that we're seeing brought on by many different uh trends, but Bitcoin being one of them, is that, you know, people are used to um, getting problems solved by the political apparatus and by an increasingly bigger go government. And I think the paradox is that the the governments and the, the individuals around the world, the politicians around the world that are taking the exact opposite approach that are saying the best way to foster, you know, a good lifestyle and a prosperous and robust and peaceful, you know, city or state is for us to fade into the background and just provide the, you know, the essentials for people's own ingenuity and people's own ambitions and motivation to flourish. And in the short term, that might be an unpopular message because it's basically saying you've come to think the government solves everything. We're going to actually step back. But in the longer term, 
and I think this is borne out in all the examples where this has happened, it ends up being a very positive policy for, you know, quality of life, flourishing, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and like I say, you take the Bitcoin conversation out. We've, we've been doing that as well. Uh, we have several instances where in the past, there's been a reliance on uh, municipal government to, to fix infrastructure issues on private property. Well, then someone calls and says, I have this problem, whether it be a stormwater drain or something like that. It's, it's on your property. It, it's your responsibility. You bought the property. Um, and so then the conversation doesn't go well. It, it goes, takes a South turn very quickly. And, and then you explain it to them. Now there are 21,000, almost 22,000 homes in our city. If every home had this issue and we fixed every home, like we did yours, you won't have a road to get to your home. And it's, it's shifting. It's, it's all about a mindset shift of, of how we do that and how we create the expectation, not just from government, but also from the public as well. Do your do you have to speak at this point? I mean, is it too early or have you had these conversations publicly with your constituents about your interest in Bitcoin and how it might play a role in in improving the, you know, the, the quality of life in the city broadly? We haven't had a large scale conversation, but every time that I, I go somewhere uh, or, or talk with someone, it comes up. And so, like uh, so we just had a, a a prayer breakfast this morning at 500 people there, and I probably had the conversation three or four times this morning with different people. And so, I think that's where just the education at the one-on-one level, and then we're we're forming a task force to kind of look at a, a larger education piece, policy. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're looking at first is is much like a deferred compensation plan for an IRA with our employees, but allowing our employees to convert their some of their paycheck to to Bitcoin if they want to. Um, so as we see that and kind of the introduce it in ways that are more comfortable to accept and not the radical change, then I think that we can do that because sustainable change doesn't happen overnight. It has to be mm-hmm. slow. You have to get people more comfortable with it, and then you can introduce it uh, in different ways and, and make people more comfortable. What's the, the, the character of these conversations? You mentioned this morning, people coming up to you and you had it a few times, you know, uh, what are they asking you about it? Where are they? What's their opinion? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting you know, as people, the one-on-one in-person conversations are very positive. They're just, I want to know about it. Tell me about it. You know, what is it? Now you switch over to social media and right. where I'm behind the screen, those conversations go a little different. You know, you're an idiot, you're crazy, you're stupid, don't understand what you're doing. Uh, and so um, <laughs> it's, it, it depends on what, uh, what arena you have those conversations in. Right. Does that kind of stuff bother you? The social yeah, media? No. Has no? this always been the case? Not just with Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's been. I think it's part of the the benefit of, of coming from a family of you know, being in politics that you know that uh, that you know you're not going to make everyone happy. If you want to make everyone happy, go sell ice cream. Um, that's just part of it. No matter what you do, because if you do something even at a local level, if I'm if we build a new park in one part of town, then the other parts of town are going to say, "Wait, wait a second, you jerk! You didn't build a park in my part of town." So it's yeah. just you got to get through that noise as well. How how do you uh, answer some of those questions, or you know, you know, calm people down, or explain why this is not a waste of your, you know, your resources as in t- as far as attention is concerned, or even you know, the city's resources to try to learn about this thing and try to integrate it, you know, because obviously it's still very early days in this phenomenon, and and there's lots of different opinions about it, and people think different things about it, and people some people even think it's just a flash in the pan and it'll go away someday. 
how do you reassure people that, uh, you know, this is legit and that there's actually, you know, quite a big upside to being early and understanding this thing and integrating it? I think it's a lot of it is picking your battles, um, you know, understanding your audience. If someone has a legitimate concern and they're asking questions uh, and they're trying to understand, they're not, if someone comes at, you know, from a point of immediate attack, then they're not trying to understand and nothing that I can say, nothing that I can point to. I, I think that's maybe that the pandemic helped in this realm to the understanding of nothing that I'm going to say and anything that we did for pandemic response, there are going to be people that believe a certain way. You're not going to change their mind. The only reason that they engage you at all is to argue and be combative. And you can provide all the information you can. And, um, you know, Tom will be the teacher for, for those people. Mm. Um, do you talk to other mayors at this point? You know, Mayor Suarez kind of lit the fire uh, and helped you um, understand this thing a bit more and, and adopt an approach. Are other mayors seeing your laser eyes and hitting you up? Or are there conversations between you guys and gals? What's the status there? I think it's been more localized. You know, in rural West Tennessee and Aria, I think they're kind of going, let me step back and see what they're doing. And I don't want to, I don't want to give me poo slung on, slung on me, but uh, you know, Knox County mayor across the state, Mayor Jacobs, uh, he and I talked a couple of weeks ago and they're looking kind of start the same thing of a, of a deferred compensation conversion for, for Bitcoin for their employees. And so he's looking at it. Um, we have some challenges and some obstacles in our state. Um, we, we have to look at, I talked with our comptroller's office last week, and we have to look at changing legislation next year uh, for, for municipalities, local governments to be able to hold um, Bitcoin on a, as a treasury asset in a balance sheet. Um, so, you know, we kind of started the conversation of, you know, well, if we spend a few thousand dollars and get some mining rigs and just start that that way. Um, but we got to get some legislation change. And so that'll be a, a year long conversation to, to try to bring people to the table to get that worked out. What is the legislation that prohibits you from owning an asset of any kind? Well, it, it specifically lays out the assets that we can we can have investments in and, and Bitcoin is not one of them. So it's, it's like you can invest in bonds and yeah, it's a it's a very specific bonds, you know, different things, cash. Um, and, and so, yeah, very, very conservative approach to investments. Uh, so my approach is, I think the. And that's a state mandate. Mm-hmm, it's a state statute. Yeah. And so I think my approach is for us at, at, our, at our level is less um, apprehension. Maybe if we spend, you know, X number of dollars on mining equipment, because we already are a huge consumer of energy. Uh, and we have opportunities for clean energy. We're, you know, TVA backed, we have hydro nuclear, um, and we have a great ener- local energy authority, but how we can regulate and stabilize the energy load um, one way with us doing that, but have kind of a, of a fixed cost for us, knowing what our energy consumption is going to be, knowing what the rigs cost. And then if we're mining, then we can see that come onto our, our balance sheet. And, and then we can, we have proof of concept that, hey, we mined it, this is what it cost us in dollars. Um, this is what we mined this year, and this is the this is the value of it. And so, uh, as that continues to appreciate, and we continue to do that, then I think then then that can go to different investment strategies as well. Mm. Uh, that's interesting. Um, have you gotten any pushback from, uh, for lack of a better term, higher ups 
you know, about this pursuit of yours, whether it be mining or whether it be, uh, well, actually, before you answer that question, one of the things that surprises me is um, that state employees would even be interested in receiving a portion of their salary in Bitcoin, you know, because I think by virtue of the fact that, you know, people like myself have been here for a while when it was still very countercultural and nascent and early days, uh, it's it's interesting to think that people are now seeing their payment and the currency through the lens of, well, a, a comparative lens where mm-hmm. they say, okay, you know, the US dollar, I can pay my taxes and I can do certain things with it. I maybe, care, you know, pay for my expenses. But if I'm thinking longer term, I don't really want to be holding that thing. I'd rather be holding something that that doesn't depreciate as much as, as right. the dollar. So is that actually what some of your, uh, you know, the, the, the city rather employees are, are actually starting to consider and think about? And I think that that'll be, you know, a bigger conversation for us and that comes with the education. But what we would like to do is just create the opportunity. I think you know, my goal role as a, as a leader for this organization is create every opportunity I can for our city to succeed, our employees to succeed. And, um, you know, not not taking away because I think once you once you radicalize it of either or we're going to take away your IRA opportunity we're going to make you do Bitcoin, but giving them diversified opportunities because you know any investment strategist you know tells you diversify your options and so we diversify those opportunities for people to invest in their retirement. Um, you know our our city employees are already in they're in Tennessee consolidated retirement so they get retirement funded. Um, the deferred compensation is in addition to their, their consolidated retirement. So this would be just another addition to what they would already have once they retire. Right. Um, right. So back to that question about uh, has anyone, has any higher ups knocked on your door yet, sent, had give, given you that phone call where they say, you know, settle down, you're, uh, you're, you're playing with fire here. Not yet, but it's, it's probably coming because I haven't tried to change <laughs> anything yet. Uh, you know, I'm, talked with the comptroller's office and they said, this is where we are. You can't do this now. And so I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and so I'm sure once we start having the conversations about changing statutes and legislation at the state level to allow us to do that, I'm sure there'll be some knocks on the door and uh, there'll be more probably in-person, you're an idiot conversation to me. So, but uh, right. I'm kind of imagining, have you seen the movie uh, Network from the seventies? Yeah, I think so. This this news anchor kind of goes insane. He goes on all these crazy rants on 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 the on live TV about the state of the world and control and the power of TV and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, the owner of the network sits him down in the conference room one time. His name's um, can't remember the the owner of the network, but he's talking to this uh, news anchor and he's talking about how like he's messing with the forces of nature, you know, something like that. And I kind of imagine that type of scenario for people in in you know, in within the apparatus, within the political apparatus and the pil- political machine, receiving a, ty- a type of talk like that from uh, others higher up. Well, I, I think that's why you got to create that compromise opportunity. Of we're, we're not taking away what you're doing. We're not taking away what we've what we've been doing. We just want to give another option, and we want to make sure that we're all having long term sustainability. And um, if if we can do that option, and you know, we're allowed to, then. We can we can be the pilot program if you want it to, and and, and depend all on us. And I'm I'm willing to to take that on. Yeah, I mean, people people have um, the the political the question of whether uh, Bitcoin will be outlawed, banned, have some political uh, imposition uh, on it has been bandied around for a long time. But you know, if you look at the principles that Bitcoin instantiates, you know, a fair playing field for all, 
treat the same treatment for all, open access to all. I mean, these are really fundamental principles of freedom. And, you know, America being the country that's probably instantiated these principles in their founding documents more than any other country, you would think that it would be hard. And I think the more people learn about Bitcoin and the more this is elucidated, it will be hard for people to take a hardline stance against it because what it embodies is very much those same principles. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that comes with with the the conversations, the education. Because right now, it's really easy if you don't understand it to to be so uh, risk aversion centered. Of I, I see the day to day swings, and I'm not stepping back. I see the trees, I can't see the forest. And so, uh, once you have those conversations and, and really kind of ease that, and um, you know, people get into zero sum game mentality too. If you're going to do this, and we can't do this anymore. We're not saying that. We're saying we want to open up opportunities. And that's what you know, I, th- I think that, that we should be about, no matter what level of government, creating opportunities for us to succeed, for the people that we serve to succeed. Who, uh, which resources have you found most helpful in, in your own understanding of you know, going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Yeah, you know, I think reading articles and just clicking, but... If for me personally, having having conversations like this and the, the probing questions and, and hearing people that have been in it a whole lot longer than I have on kind of what they see and the opportunities um, is really done more for me. You know, like I said, I have two small kids. I'm not sitting down reading books for hours at a day. And so uh, you know, conversations are, are really the, the big benefit right now for me to, to understand more of, of mindsets of of what we can do and what is what is available and what the potential is, I think. Yeah. You know, it's pretty common to uh, hear from people. And I've had a lot of these conversations where once you start to learn about Bitcoin and understand it and see all the different domains that it has implications for that it could potentially affect, it starts to change the lens or the worldview that that, you know, through which you see the world. Um, mm-hmm. And in some that, you know, in initial days, of course, that's maybe more subtle. And then the further down you go, it becomes more drastic. And, you know, I've seen, you know, complete transformations in people uh, as a result of uh, understanding what this represents uh, more. Has that has, has I know you're still on that journey, but has this influenced your worldview in any economic, political, other domains since you've been you know, learning about Bitcoin? You know, it's. It's hard. I had to compare it, but it's almost like living through in, in this role, living through the pandemic of, of seeing that, you know, we're, we're talking to companies now of, hey, if you want to locate here, half their workforce is going to be here. Half their workforce is going to be decentralized. Um, so just understanding that no matter geographic location doesn't doesn't mean that there's no connectivity, whether we like it or not, whether we want to fight it or not, we're all connected globally. And I think that's um, that's what we have to to understand. And you know, it's just the the geography doesn't matter anymore, and it's not as not as important as it used yeah. to be. You know, I don't think we fully appreciate yet how much of a profound impact and change you know what's happened over the past year is going to have on that very dynamic that you just referenced. Um, you know, because on the one hand, you know, there's a lot of people that are decrying the impositions um, on freedom and liberty over the past year, and I'm certainly one of them. Um, and that's creating kind of a desire for uh, places that, you know, respect, let's say, freedom and liberty more. And it's it's simultaneous with 
a massive shift to de digital decentralized working, right? You know, you know, I heard you mention on another podcast that you didn't have Zoom on your computer a year ago, you know, and, and now, of course, I'm sure many of your, your conversations and your meetings happen on that platform. And that's the case for a massive portion of the economy. And so this has been a, a gigantic shift to people being able to remote or mobile work. And mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, we discussed, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what is going to be the effect when people can so easily uh, move from place to place? I mean, what is it that's that's going to cause people to uh, to stay in in a jurisdiction? Infrastructure, public safety, and quality of life. They got they won't got to want to live there. Um, you know, and, and you talk about that shift. You know, it, it required us got to make significant investments in technology upgrades. Um, you know, up until last year. Uh, we did not have at the city government level uh, remote in software. And so if someone wanted to work from home, they could access our email, that's it. And so we had to, we had to do that to allow people to work from home if they wanted to, or if they had to quarantine, or if they were sick. And so uh, it, it really, it requires everyone. It required everyone. Uh, and you learn along the way uh, at the, at the city level here in Jackson, we use go to meetings for when we were doing um, public meetings online because Early on in the pandemic, another city in the state had Zoom. That was before Zoom put in all the, the fantastic security measures they have now. And it was very new for everyone. And uh, they had a, a council meeting. It was live streamed and someone hacked it uh, during the live stream. So uh, we went with go to at that point. And I have both those on my computer now and, and utilize both of them on a daily basis. And prior to March of last year, didn't use either one of them. So has your, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you say quality of life and, 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 and uh, safety and things like that. And of, and of course, there's a generational component to this, right? I mean, a, a certain people that are retired or retiring soon or that are in jobs that are not uh, able to remote work, though, that will kind of slow the pace of this change. But it's really interesting to, to consider over the next five to 10 years, what kind of impact that'll have. Um, do you give much consideration to the broader political? I know you're focused on on your small area of being a mayor of a city, but uh, you know the political, the grander political dynamic, both in the U.S. and in the world at large today, gets a lot of attention because I think we're seeing. Uh, well, the, there's a lot of issues and probably no single cause, but I think a lot of us in this in the Bitcoin space would point to the money the degradation and the destruction and the abuse of the money that's fostering all these uh, perverse incentives and this malinvestment and this capital destruction and the attendant social problems that emerge as a result of that. Do you give much consideration to, you know, where things are, where they're going, that kind of stuff? Yes and no. I get frustrated when I start thinking about it because <laughs> I think at a national level, you know, the political parties have, have sorely identified themselves as what they're against rather than what they're for on, on creating divisiveness rather than creating solutions. Um, and, you know, here at our local level, we are nonpartisan racist, which is, I don't care who you voted for in the last presidential election. You live in Jackson. I'm serving you. You call me for an issue. We're going to try to figure it out. It has to be solutions oriented. And I think that, I think that's why as far as a Bitcoin adoption, it, it'll be from, the local level up because I just don't think that that mechanism of, of finding solutions is at the, at the federal level. Now they're, they're just, 
even at the state level, it's um, it, lines are drawn in the sand and we're so identified on on what you did to me and what I'm going to do to you and how we get back and who voted for what. And, you know, I, I don't I don't have time. I, I got too much going on here to care about any of that. We're, we're trying to find solutions to to make people's lives better and, and foster that environment where people can be successful. Yeah, I love that attitude. But do you do you have any speculations on why that state of affairs has emerged, you know, on the, on the national and state level. I think Why has it come to that? I think it's easier to, to get your base riled up, to get voter turnout. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of, of talking about the other guy I'm running against or girl I'm running, lady I'm running against on what they did or didn't do. It's, it's about what I can do and, and, and my platform and vision. And I think it's just oftentimes too easy to point to that short term, uh, villainization of someone to scare someone into voting, not specifically voting for you, but voting against that person. Right. So right. it's not about, uh, I'm not wanting you to vote for me. I'm just wanting you to vote against them. And if you vote against them, then you just so happen to vote for me. Yeah. Do you have a particular ambition or something you want to accomplish in this role that you're in and then kind of step back and move on to other things? And if so, what might those be? Gosh, there's, there's so much I want to accomplish here. Um, uh, I don't, I don't foresee any, any different roles in the near future. I'm, I'm, you know, two years into my first term, um, and we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of, of things that a lot of opportunity that we can realize here in Jackson. And, uh, I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, that, uh, my family has been here since 1832. And so, uh, wow. we've been a part of, of making that change. And, you know, my grandfather first took office in 67, Jackson was much smaller. It was more, more rural than what it was. And he, he saw the vision of changing the mayor's office from a part-time position to he had two businesses, sold them when he got elected uh, to a full-time position and, and started bringing the kind of that industrial change to Jackson, bringing manufacturing and industry into the city uh, because he saw that opportunity as a hub. And I think, you know, it's amazing how things change, but things still stay the, stay the same. Um, you know, a lot of the same things that, that he talked about. I talked about my, my grandmother has scrapbooks for all his years in office. And she sent me one in the mail of a kind of first year glance at what he talked about. And uh, the, the conversation was this really kind of eerie because I'd never seen that article. And it was a lot of the same things that, that I've talked about. Uh, but I think it's different. We have that, that technology revolution and the digital revolution that we can usher in to Jackson specifically. And uh, we have to, to start laying that foundation to do that. Can you share some of the things that he was saying in, in that article? It'd be interesting to know. Well, it's just about creating opportunity, uh, new age, um, you know, being transparent, being efficient and accountable for, for how we spend dollars, uh, you know, looking at the lens of how you run like a business instead of just, you know, there's, we'll just go find more money. And now we have to, we have to look at how we spend our dollars, prioritize how we spend our money. Um, it's uh, it's the same thing that, that I've been talking and, you know, we kind of have a, a phrase around here, a penny saved is a street paved right now. And so <laughs> we, we analyze everything. Um, you know, we've been fortunate um, first two years in office, just from, from instilling that into our department heads, we, we came in revenues over expenditures my first year, you know, $2.7 million. Uh, we're on track right now in a pandemic because of several factors, but the fact that we've instilled that in our department. So we're going to come in revenues over expenses, $8 million during a pandemic because we've we've just prioritized and looked at how we spend what we need 
and this just take the wants out. We're going to look at needs first. We're going to prioritize it and we're not going to grow government. We've actually reduced the size of government in this last year. That's awesome, man. I think, I think there's been a lot of well-intentioned people in the political you know, machine over the last you know, several centuries, you know, all over the world. But the problem is that the mechanism by which it's, uh, it operates becomes corrupted or people become corrupted by the power that it, it instills in them. And it's going to be really interesting to see to what degree uh, non-sovereign money imposes a restriction on the size and the influence of the state. And then simultaneous to that, how the digital economy and this you know, ability to move around that we've been discussing imposes further restriction and forces them to compete. And it's really great to hear from someone like yourself that that's your mindset, you know, bringing value to the people, your, you know, your, uh, your constituents and realizing that, you know, there's very big change of foot that's going to probably dramatically reshape the landscape of governance generally and trying to participate in, in the evolution of that. I think it's cool. Well, I think, too, you, you get to government at all levels. And, and I, I always go back to Senator Bob Corker, retired senator from Tennessee. Um, I was at a fundraiser for his several years back, and um, he is a former mayor of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And somebody asked him, you know, what's what's his biggest um, issue in Washington? And I mean, without hesitation, he said, you know, single interest uh, groups, organizations, people. He said, you know, my job, my job is as a mayor. When I was mayor, my job is as a senator is to look at the picture in the totality of, of how it affects everybody. And those single issue individuals, groups, organizations just beat the issue, not really worrying about how it affects anything else. And so, um, you know, and the, the comment that he made was he was a very successful businessman, real estate developer, you know, wealthy. He, he didn't say that he talked about building his business. Uh, and then he said, you know, the, the thing is that those lobbyists and those single interest individuals and groups they can't offer me anything that I need. I've built a very successful business. I, I don't need anything they have to offer. He said, but some people do, and that's where they get into trouble and they, they follow those single interests. And uh, it's, it's where the issues happen. And we have to look back and, you know, not having a singular focus on, on what's, what's benefit of, for me, 68,000 people. Yeah. That's well said. Um, you know, man, I think I appreciate the time today. And I, I also appreciate, you know, the courage that it takes to uh, align yourself with something so new and so broadly misunderstood. You know, I, I do think you'll be rewarded from that, both from your constituents eventually, but also financially from from establishing that alignment. But, you know, I look around uh, the places where I live, the mayors, the premiers, the governors, the senators, all that kind of stuff. And one of the huge impediments seems to be they don't want to put their neck out for something. You know, that this is this is new. This is misunderstood. It's not at the top of the priorities of my constituents. Why attract the attention? Why give myself the grief of trying to explain why I'm getting involved in something that some people think is a you know criminal, you know, criminal, right. criminal instrument of some kind? And I think um, people like yourself. It, it requires courage. And like, you know, maybe we could broadly say that there's a, there's a lack of courage in our times for, for things that are genuinely good. So I applaud you for, for well, getting involved. Maybe a lack of courage. I, I don't know, but I think that my role is not to get reelected. I would love to get reelected. I plan on running for reelection in 2023. Uh, but my role is to serve the citizens. I'm only guaranteed four years at a time. 
And I'm going to do everything I can to to put Jackson in a better position for the future in those four years. And I'm, I'm hopeful that the message resonates well in 2023 and I'm reelected. Um, but that's not my that's not my top priority. My top priority is is putting Jackson in, in a better position to succeed long term. Yeah, well, I think you might be in the minority with that uh, stance, but um, <laughs> I'm glad that that is your uh, your you know your position and your objective. So. Uh, man, this has been a, a real pleasure to connect with you and, and have this conversation. Any last words before we shut this thing down? I've enjoyed the conversation. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for a place to come that's uh, it's welcoming, tech friendly, that's Bitcoin friendly place to visit, Music Highway, Jackson, Tennessee is where it's at. Awesome. Hit up the mayor. He's the one with the laser eyes on Twitter. I'm sure uh, you'd be happy to engage with everyone there. Absolutely. All right, brother. Take care of yourself. Thanks. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Oh, 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 oh,